What is up, investors? Happy 2023 if you haven't heard of it yet or you're still making that mistake of writing in 2022. But here we are, another year and another new group of folks coming to the retreat. And I am excited and always we're getting better and better at getting people over the hump of investing in alternative investments, getting over that queasy feeling that taking out debt out of your home and getting your lazy equity out of different places and putting into stuff such as real estate that can power other tax benefits and better returns. Today, we're going to be doing a coaching call. And if you guys like these coaching calls, you guys can volunteer for one for yourself in the future. Make sure you join our investor club at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club and email the team and we'll try and get you lined up if you guys are more than willing to do something like this in the future. Now, as I've been getting in better and better, I've been seeing like different case scenarios, such as the doctor that we're having on today. And, you know, what I wanted to just briefly talk specifically today, and this probably probably fit in one of these categories, a lot of people here are first generation net worth. You weren't born with money. You weren't a trust fund kid. Now, maybe some of you guys are, and I would probably, I look down our larger investor list. I think more than 800 of you guys have invested at least $50,000 with us thus far. And I would probably say less than maybe 5% are people who were born with more than a million dollars net worth. So that means most of you guys out there are folks who've saved hard, worked hard, maybe put your money in the 401k places you shouldn't have. And I think you're starting to learn what a mistake that was. It's all a transition. It's all part of the journey. And what I'm seeing is you have to have a high amount of W-2 or 10 and 9 income, or in other words, ordinary income. And you, if you're a good investor, maybe you have some stocks, bonds, mutual funds, or playing around with that type of stuff, and you have portfolio income. Portfolio income, order income, bad, right? Because passive income is what we want, not only for the fact that it's, it's passive, lay on the beach, mailbox money, but more in terms of taxes, right? Because when you talk about passive income can be offset with passive losses. PAL is what we call for short. The new TaxPal fund that we have coming up, which you guys can get access to the info page through the member site, is going to be give you guys passive losses so you can knock out those passive income and offset that. Now, for a lot of you guys, especially the people starting out, you have predominantly majority pass uh, ordinary income. And you're trying to get to that point where you can have more and more of this ordinary income. And if you're watching the YouTube channel, you're seeing me put my two hands together and be a big kind of needle showing that majority is ordinary income. And over time, as I'm bending my arms the other way, the needle goes back to more passive income to a lot of myself and a lot of the higher net worth investors who have gone to many deals and gotten a lot of passive income, passive losses. You start to get to a point where most of your income is passive as opposed to ordinary. And the reason, part of the reasons is, or maybe even the biggest reason, other than the better returns, but the fact that you can offset the passive income with the passive losses and stay a whole boatload of taxes right there that you wouldn't, would able to do and shelter yourself on the ordinary income side. I'm all running these, synergizing these ideas are much better in my next book, which is gonna be rolling out, hopefully by the end of this year, where it's going to be talking about these these nuances of really we've I think in the past book we talked about a lot of these in generalities, but what are the, like the steps? And real briefly, I'm going to be going over this before we go into the coaching call. What I'm kind of putting together here is this idea of there are different use cases here 
for different people in terms of a lot of you guys, just depending on your due income household, some people are single and that's cool. But I would say the majority of our investor group are married with kids and have small to large families. And with the two people at the household, at least I don't think we have polyamorous folks out there. I've never seen people with more than three, four incomes. Some people joke that their rental properties or their syndications are spouses. But for the most part, there's two people kind of building widgets, right? Or in their income, a lot of putting putting or in their income into their income pile. And that's what you're going to need to do, especially when you're not a trust fund kid. You don't have a lot of money to begin with. You have to build your net worth to a million, two million. And I'm going to say loosely two and a half million with a range of a million there, because this is the point where you're building that critical mass to be able to get over this hump. And that's what I see is down now, once you get to two, two and a half million, you're coming downhill and you're going to hit that four or five million dollar in-game mark. But there's a a few use cases here. A lot of you folks, especially when you and your spouse are making about the same amount as high income earners, it makes more sense for you to both work your day job, not do rep status and burn the afterburners, hopefully, and at some point shut it off. And what we call this is there's the, I call this like the Ford Raptor, big truck, you gas guzzler kind of snare where you're working hard, making a whole bunch of ordinary income. You're still saving it to put to investments and put to the simple passive cash flow cycle. And, but you're paying a lot in taxes. And that's just how it is. When you have ordinary income, you're going to have to pay taxes on it. There's no way around it. When you have a big truck like that, you're going to pay a lot of in gas. The next stage on the opposite side of the spectrum is the, I'm not a big fan of Teslas. I don't have one, but they're clean, efficient energy type of car. And it goes fast too, which is cool. And they're kind of sick. But in this analogy, what I'm going to pull from it is it's like switching over from like this gas going to electric. And what that is, it's like cleaner, efficient, seemingly, if you don't count all that damn coal, that battery, the lithium, charging up the lithium battery and all that stuff. But if you're just looking from the cart point of view, if you follow me with this kind of loose analogy is, or at least people who are more experienced, like I said, like myself or people in dozens of deals, most of their income is passive. And that way it's very clean and efficient in terms of taxes that their passive income is essentially wiped out by passive losses, or most of it is, and they don't pay that much in taxes. A lot of folks who've been investing, go look at your 8582 form. You probably have more than a quarter million, half a million in passive losses. Some of you guys, a million or a few million dollars have spent in passive losses. And yeah, if you got around a lot of the other accredited investors that are doing this too, you probably scratch your head around and you're wondering, when am I going to pay any taxes, in fact? And you may never. Uh, And that's the Tesla kind of side of it, where it's electric. Now, for a lot of you guys, and this is where it really gets more personal finance. This is the Prius. And yeah, of course, the Prius is a much suckier car than the cool Ford Raptor, which I personally own, and a Tesla. But the Prius was the only car that I could think of that was a hybrid where it uses gas and it also switches to electric. And this this is a tough place for a lot of folks is maybe the incomes are disproportionate where you have a some guy who makes... You know, some gal makes 200000 and their spouse only makes a hundred. Together, they make great salary, right? $300,000 a year, but it's a little bit disproportionate. And it makes sense for them to keep working, but maybe one or the two don't like their job. And there's kind of two case scenarios where maybe the higher income earning one, the making person making $200,000 a year 
isn't doesn't like their job. And ideally, they are the ones that they want to quit or go part time first and go rep status. Now, that is tough because they make more money. And oftentimes, what I'll advise based on their personal situation is where nice to come to retreat, build a relationship. And I understand this, or you can learn this from your peers, which is why people join the family office group to synergize over these, these bigger concepts or these more less high level financial topics. It gets in more personal finance. And for these people, it may just mean to just suck it up and you're the breadwinner and you're just going to have to keep working, even though you don't like your job more than your spouse. And where it works better is in the opposite way around. For these Prius owners, all these are Prius owners, right? In the middle, in this like hybrid, they don't make too much. But you have a person who doesn't like their job making a hundred grand a year. Stop working, go part-time or just quit working at all. The, your breadwinner can carry your household. And this is where I think is a huge improvement in quality of life. Maybe that person can get rep status and now take down that barrier where you can use your PALS, your passive activity losses to offset all your ordinary income. Now you're seeing why people are diving into our next tax pal fund and using these things and using a couple of synergenic strategies in two. Of course, consult your own tax attorney, CPA. You got most people need a new one. 95% of people, I would say, change their CPAs because they don't know. They have, that's why the CPAs have day jobs. They haven't figured this stuff out. But if you guys need a referral, let me know. Shoot us an email. This is a beautiful situation right now. The person who doesn't like their day job doesn't have to work and they can spend time with most of you guys do have kids out there. Quality of life, right? It's great. And sure, you're not like burning both ends of the candle with ordinary income. And if you're making $300,000, you're not able to save a hundred grand a year and it goes down to maybe 50,000 a year. But hey, we don't need that much. It, my whole simple passive cash flow prerequisite is being able to save twenty five, fifty thousand dollars a year. That's really all you need to do. Some of you guys blow that out of the water, a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars a year. That's great, right? That's just going to accelerate you to get there and blast past five million dollars, ten million dollars net worth. But that's not needed in this case. Of course, there's. I think we're, we might talk about today with our coaching call participant, doctors, typically doctors, dentists, or folks that. High income earners that make over three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars a year by themselves typically makes most sense for them to just get rid of the spouse's job and have them do rep status, especially if you're above that three hundred forty thousand dollars AGI for two thousand twenty three. So there's a few Prius scenarios. What I wanted to say was like every there's a few scenarios here. There's the Raptor. There's a few Prius scenarios, and then there's a Tesla scenario. And this is why I think what makes it a little confusing because you're getting advice from all kinds of angles, yet you don't know who to really trust and, you know, what's really for you. And that's my kind of my job is I think. So if this is new to you guys, welcome to the channel. Welcome to the podcast. Join the club. I give everybody kind of a short time to if I can get in there and just point you in the right direction. And I still do these onboarding calls with you guys. I'd like to get let know you guys a little bit. And share this with a friend or interact with our community because likely your friends or co coworkers, family, not doing any type of this stuff. Join the Simple Passive Cash Flow Clan. But anyway, enjoy the show and here we go. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey, Simple Passive Cashflow listeners, today we have a, another coaching call. You guys love these things. You guys eat this up like candy. It's like 
financial fans, lawyers call it that. So I have Brian on the line. He is a doctor and he's been heavily invested in private placements. And so I'll have Brian tell his story a little bit, but it's another great accredited investor call here. So enjoy. And thanks for jumping on, Brian. Yeah, a little background on me. I am a physician and kind of fell into the the standard path what physicians are told to do and channel all of your all of your earnings and into your 401k and get a nice little stash of equities going and maybe if you accumulate enough by the time you're 60 you can retire and a couple of years ago I was on vacation in in Asia and I discovered that I didn't want to work for ideally I wanted to be totally retired by the time I was 55 I was about I don't know 47 at the time and I looked at my portfolio and discovered that pretty much all of it was in equity and bonds and it was yielding about 1%. And I was thinking, there's no way I'm ever going to get to where I want to be with 1% yield on my portfolio. So that's when I started educating myself on passive investments and alternative investments. And was there some the kind point- of like thing that happened at work? Or you just had some free time on vacation to read a book? Oh, or- yeah. It- No, it was just for the first time in about five years, I had a nice two week vacation and we decided we were going to go to Asia and we had a lot of downtime. You just, I kind of self-reflected and thought, I really like this relaxing stuff. I could get used to this, could turn in my 80 hour work weeks for this, certainly. So yeah, I guess that was the epiphany. There's more to life than slogging in the office 80 hours a week. Yeah. And you're married, you got kids. So I have a long-term partner. I have two kids. Daughter is a freshman in college and son is a sophomore and got divorced about five or let's see, that's about eight years ago now. And still still paying some of that off. I have two and a half years left of that. And then I'll be clear of that. So at this point in the game, are you doing... So let's just paint the story. You Did you buy any rentals? Did you go through that? Yeah, I did. I did. I bought a single family rental on the East Coast in 2007 in a nice little seaside town that had a lot of vacationers from Connecticut and New York and got it ready to roll in 2008. Then you know what happened in the market in 2008, and it lost about half its value. And so that wasn't the best experience. Ended up having various tenants. Some were good, some were bad. One of them ended up being a mob. So after finally getting out of that deal after about 10 years and not making any money out of it, it soured me onto, onto the single family thing. If you've been listening to the Simple Passive Cashflow podcast since 2016, you have seen me well change my mind a few times. At one time, I thought buying a bunch of rentals was the way to financial freedom, so you could be that cool guy at the local real estate club with all the other misguided landlords. As I became an accredited investor, I discovered the three-step system that we use today. First, syndication deals where you don't invest with dishonest operators to get better returns than the 401k financial planner garbage. Second step, get passive losses to unlock the tax best practices that the wealthy employ. And last and least impactful, number three, infinite banking. If your net worth is not yet $1 million, check out my free turnkey rental remote e-course at simplepassacashflow.com slash turnkey. All right, speaking to accredited investor to accredited investor, my 123 system is very simple to implement, but it requires plugging into a community of purely passive accredited investors like ours. Join our investor club for more insider access. Go to simplepassacashflow.com slash club. 
Those who are looking to deploy more than $250,000 their first year or make over $300,000 in annual income or net worth over a couple million dollars should really look into our exclusive inner circle called the Family Office HANA Mastermind, FOOM for short. Learn more at simplepassivecashflow.com slash journey. When did you start to get into the private placements and syndication? 2018 was my first one. Actually, maybe 2017 was my first one, but I really started taking the plunge in 2018. Okay. So that whole 10-year period, you just working the day job and managing your... Working the day job, shoveling everything I could into index funds and all that good stuff. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Would have been a one or two years later, maybe it would right. have been different. Right. But yeah, right, I mean, but oh. the syndications, thank God, because it's essentially the value add deals are doing what I would want to do if, if I was doing it myself. But there's teams of professionals that are doing it that are actually good at it. I, I know where my strengths are and being a landlord is definitely not one of them. Being a property manager is definitely not one of them. Yeah, it only comes down to what your highest and best use is. Like mm-hmm. You might be an eight out of 10 in terms of being a landlord, which might be a hell of a lot better than the average Joe listing out there who's a five and a half out of 10. Right. But true, because true. you're a nine and a half doctor making that hourly rate, it's just a no brainer. You spend your time on what your highest and best uses and you right. focus on that. So you, well, we're also showing on the screen here, if you guys check this out on the YouTube, and I would probably suggest heading over to YouTube channel for this one. Brian's got a plethora of different all kinds of syndications in private places. But what are you looking like? More than a couple dozen of these things, I think. It's I think it's up to twenty two. Yeah. Various investments between twenty five to a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars minimum. Take us through the like how did you first discover syndications and what was your kind of first steps? Because this is the hard part, right? Like mm-hmm. you hear about this mythical creature called private placements and syndications where there's value add, there's cash flow. You don't do anything as a passive investor. You don't get debt in your own name. You don't get the high liability, which is a huge deal for doctors. And it all sounds amazing, but you're stepping out into the abyss. How did you step forth into the So end? Yeah. So the probably the first thing I did is I found a community of people online and they were vetting some investments and I didn't, I knew nothing, man. I knew absolutely nothing. I didn't know a, a debt fund from a, from a syndication from, I mean, I, I knew absolutely nothing. And the people in the group said, Hey, there was a triple N lease fund, which is basically a fund that takes over the leases for Walgreens and Rite Aids and Michael stores and stuff like that. And you get like a monthly check every month. And that was probably my first my first swing. And I just went on because everybody in this community said, oh, it's great. It's great. It's great. And then they said, hey, this, this is a really good sponsor if you want to get into apartments. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Except they're like stabilized class A San Diego type apartments. And I didn't know anything about A, B, C, any of that at the time. So I just thought, oh, yeah, these guys recommend it. That's good. So I jumped into that. And I still have that. And that's probably been my worst performing investment since I started. <laughs> There's just the cash flow on that thing is like one and a half percent, I think. Yeah. Class A, say. Class, class A in California I, doesn't cash flow. <laughs> I saw a deal. I'm not going to say where it is, but it's near Disneyland. And I, I felt like I should put in a yeah. hundred grand just so I can write off my trips to Disneyland. That's really <laughs> yeah, the I mean, only reason why we do pop-up meetings when I go to 
Southern Cal or Northern Cal so I can write off my personal trip. Know why you're <laughs> investing, right? Yeah, you know? but if I decided not. I didn't know why, why I was investing. Just going through this, I got into some more clubs and met some more people. And then I discovered value add and the numbers of value add made so much more sense to me. It's okay. You, you take this property that this mom and pop wants to get rid of for $25 million. And if you can get it up to par, renovate it, get good tenants in, you can make it just like that. You can force the appreciation of 31, $35 million and boom, you've, you have an instant return right there. So the numbers of that made sense to me. So I was like, okay, I got to find some more of these deals. So just some trial and error and found a couple sponsors that I really like. I've been back to do a couple deals with. And there've been some shiny objects in there. I think I'm in like music, uh, music royalties. Plan. I saw that, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't recommend <laughs> that. It's at least not in a taxable account. There are no tax advantages to music royalties and that's been a stinker. But if I, life settlements. Uh, if I was going to do that, I want to invest in like, specific songs as opposed yes. to, i think you did a fun you did it in yep. a fun right yep yeah, yeah there's no fun, fun in that fun. no Can't fun at all no fun yeah. at all and it's pretty funny too because they send you like the list of the songs that, that they bought rights to and you're like nobody listens to this crap no one's listened to that in about 30 years what are they doing but that's probably what makes it a good investment right like you're mm-hmm. not gonna like a Beatles song or in sync song backstreet boys that's the a class you're always gonna overpay for that stuff like <laughs> right. a, like a sexy california class a property yeah someone told me once that i forget the exact quote but it was something like you never want to show off your real estate portfolio at a cocktail party yeah but, you know just saying that you don't want to you don't want to buy the shiniest class a assets you want to buy unloved class b minus c that you can make into a nice class b yeah but as you can see what's happening in this podcast right here, I'm digressing and going down this rabbit hole. That's like <laughs> half a percent of your portfolio and it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't return. But that's all we want to talk about. Well, don't do what I did. Okay. So going back. So a lot of the listeners, they jump into this world and it is very laughable after the fact that you just jump into stuff off random right. referrals right. and recommendations. But that it is what it is. That's what you do. What were some things that you thought initially that you later learned? to be not Tiffany's. Kind of like I said, is more of a live where you want to live, but invest where it makes sense. Just because, oh, it'd be so nice to live in San Diego, but it doesn't necessarily mean you want to invest there. Like you want to invest where the numbers make sense. Like Huntsville, Alabama. Do I want to live in Huntsville, Alabama? I don't know. But the numbers, if you look at the numbers of Huntsville, Alabama to invest there, absolutely, totally makes sense. So I think, yeah, definitely look at the numbers more than the emotions of the investment. That was the, that was a big one. Try to expand your, talk to as many people in your network as possible because you will learn about some stinker sponsors and you'll learn about some really good sponsors. And you know, this alternative investment space is all personal connections. You're not going to be able to go check a Google review on a sponsor. So it's all uh, word of mouth from people who've been there, done that. And I'll just say, because it frustrates me, we have people like, I don't want to do the family office of Hana Mastermind. I want to start investing a little bit. I'm like, dude, you're the most exposed right now. This is the time to do it. Yeah. Um, But anyway, we'll get off of that. But yeah, what most people, they don't have a single friend or family person that invests in this type of stuff. They're all investing Mm -hmm. in the Wall Street garbage. 
what do you do? Where do you go? I always right. tell people that there's the free stuff, but I always tell people to be very careful about that stuff. You always got some shady people trying to sell IULs and random stuff like that. You gotta be careful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't do IULs, but I am a huge fan of the the infinite banking, the cash value life. God, I wish I knew about that about 20 years ago. And we are doing that for our community. You guys can get the free e-course at simplepassacashflow.com slash banking. Yeah, that's a game changer right there. The other thing I wanted to tease out of you is like you mentioned meeting other people. You're a fun guy. A lot of people are very abundance mindset once you find the right people that aren't the salesmen or the syndicators or the sharks trying to find sure. those pure passes, but how, how are some ways that you built those connections? Was it just an expensive bottle of wine or bottle of dinner? Uh, no, it's funny. You realize that the whole like passive investing space, it's a pretty, it's a pretty small club. And I actually, Elaine, I, I met you through another friend that I knew from another investing club and, and you spoke at this club and I'm like, oh, this guy, Elaine, he's got it figured out. I got to meet this guy. And it's just, I think it's just, you can't go in your little shell and find your people. And then by, by talking to your people and your network, you'll learn about more people and you talk to them and you'll, they'll tell you to talk to some other people and you just keep expanding your horizons there. Yeah, yeah. I, You can't I, shell up. You gotta be, you gotta get out there and, and actually talk to people. Yeah. I just got off the phone with somebody and I was like, dude, you gotta get out there. If you're unwilling to meet other people, you're just going to be stuck. You're going to see me that that lonely guy who has 20 rental properties and he's cranky <laughs> all the time. And then the best thing you got is investing in these garbage private money lending deals right. where you're investing in class C paper and right. no ordinary right. income. Exactly. No, like just keep at it to put yourself out there and, my keep at it takes and just, a few years. Your course is great. Just learn as much as you can because no one's gonna you're gonna have to find this stuff out for yourself no one's no one's gonna you're not gonna have a, a rep come into your office and say hey look at this look what i've prepared for you here it all is so you really gotta get under the hood and learn and i find it interesting i think it's much more expen much more uh, interesting than learning about stocks and pe ratios and book to values and all that stuff yeah so last thing I want to tease out of you, and then we can go into your overarching questions that I can do to help. You're a very, you're not a in the weeds type of person, which is why you've actually invested and you're seeing the good results. I think that's the right attitude. You open up a pitch deck or you check in your inbox, seeing a bunch of deals. What are like the first couple of things you're looking at just from a real high level? And how long do you even look at a deal? So I think number one is the sponsor. What helps is if it's a sponsor that I've invested with before and I trust that you, you don't know, even read the thing. <laughs> you got to read a little bit, but for the most part, it's okay. I know what I'm getting with yeah. this deal. So I can just skim over it. Well, what have you? Yeah. So if I that's haven't, a tough one. so if it's say we're looking at a multifamily deal, first thing I look at is the market. Is it a market that I believe in? Is it something like a Phoenix or a Dallas or, or a Huntsville or is it San Francisco? It's, do I even want it? Do I even want to be in this market? So bird's eye view, look at the market. It's like, okay, is it the market I want to be in? Then I look at what kind of deal is it? Is it a class A stabilized asset type deal? Is it a super heavy value add like a C minus they want to bring up to a, a B or is it a somewhere in between? I, the the kind of in between, like maybe C plus that they want to bring up to a B minus or, you know, B minus they want to bring up to a B plus. I think that's a sweet spot as far as value add. And I do like value add as opposed to stabilized. I guess personally get scared on development deals just because I want to 
know that the money is going to come in sooner rather than later. Obviously, the returns are bigger and potentially in the development deals, but I just, my, my sweet spot is the little value add. So then once I, once I check those boxes, then I look at it and look at the numbers a little more and say, okay, they say that they're projecting a 17% IRR and 2% return on equity in five years and whatnot. How are the numbers going to make that work? So then I look at, and you always got to remember, you can only trust the pro forma so much. It's kind of like doing a medical study. You can make the data say whatever you want it to say. Again, goes back to the sponsor. If you know what you're getting, you can you can take the numbers a little more seriously than someone you never did. But still, I want to see what they're planning to do for the value add, what they're planning to do as far as rent increases, how much that's going to increase each unit, what that's going to do to the overall value going forward, what the like the debt service coverage ratio is, those types of things like how many people are, are how many tenants can they lose before they can't pay the mortgage type thing? Break even point, um, yeah. And the break even point and those types of things. And if it seems like checks all the boxes and take the next step, talk to the sponsor, see what they're all about and go from there. Did you do this in my syndication e-course? You know, you kind of, there's certain things in the numbers to look out for. I, I did. Yep. Yep. I did. You, you have to remind me what, which ones you're getting at, though. <laughs> like the reversion cap rate oh. increases per year, the yes. annual escalators for yep. income expenses. Yeah. So rent increases per year, if they're projecting over 5%, I kind of have to look a little closer, say, really? Reversion cap rate, ideally, I like to see 1% above where they're buying it at. If it's a super hot market, it may go down to maybe 0.75. It'd have to be really compelling if they're presenting an exit cap rate that's 0.5 or less. I think that's bordering on speculation. So yeah, I mean, you... It's after you look through a few, you just kind of you get a sense of what you want to see in the big picture. And, and it's it's unconscious. You just go, it's, oh, yeah, there's the cap rate. There's the excess cap rate. And it's, uh, it comes yeah. with practice, I guess. You just got to do a bunch of them. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, that one smells fishy. Yeah. Yeah. And then you parlay that in meeting other people talking story about mm-hmm. this type of stuff. Yeah, totally. Do you, do you like those kinds? Of, you mentioned you like those class C plus high cash flow deals. You like those kind of deals that people do in like Memphis, that are a little bit more higher cash flow. I haven't done any Memphis yet. I'm looking at one in Indianapolis. And again, goes back to my markets. Like I'm not real sold on Indianapolis for a market, but the the cash flow in this one deal looks pretty good. So I'm looking at the numbers. My, I kind of like to balance my portfolio kind of half of it is more of an appreciation play, like a heavy value add that doesn't cash flow a lot. And then the other half is a more we're looking at cash flow between six and nine percent type thing. Still safe assets, but just a little higher yield. Yeah. yeah. I haven't done Memphis yet. <laughs> I just I mean I was just curious, but I don't have any good reason why and I'm open minded, yeah. you know. But that's it's a good example for folks. Like this is where you, these are the conversations you have. I don't right. know when this podcast will release, but we're having the retreat in January. Probably have it again next year, but that's where you have those evening cocktail discussions or if you're not a night person that's where you have breakfast people are encouraged to have informal breakfasts with each other have these kind of conversations and they just op- get your mind open to people's arbitrary hey, here's what i like to invest in my personal portfolio whether it's right or wrong just another viewpoint totally nobody's nobody's right and stuff. at the end of the day you're picking picking resources exactly but what can i do to help brian you think you've given the folks a lot of good information there yeah one of the things look looking at my portfolio is a little more than 50% of it is tied up in a solo 401k. And the problem with that is there's 
obviously no depreciation benefits to being in there. The cash flow is doesn't really do you much good in prison in the solo 401k. And I would like to start getting that out. And I'm only 50. So it's nine years before only I like saying that. Yeah, <laughs> it's nine years before I can start doing it without penalty. And I know you've walked some people through how they can gradually exit the solo 401ks or the, the work 401ks and try to minimize the tax bite getting out of that. What's your... And by the way, like you, I think you did this exactly the right way for your income level, whether you did it on purpose or not. But just for a review for some folks, you can guys can go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash Q or P to read about this whole argument. But generally you want to take not invest in these retirement accounts because you don't get the passive activity losses to play different games on your taxes. But the only reason why it makes sense is number one, you have to have a high income. You're already in the highest tax bracket, which I'm sure Brian is already. Number two, you have to have a lot in your retirement. When I lot more than half a million in there, if it's less, just take the sucker out. It's just going to befuddle and confuse your life, simplify things. And but what Brian did here, because he qualified, he's been both of those camps, essentially what he did is he hunted. He put some stuff into uh, these retirement accounts just to delay the taxes because he's already in the highest tax bracket once again. So and now's the point, here's the point where he's already got a proof of concept with these couple dozen deals and he's looking for more capital to harvest. And now's the time that he can strategically take it out. So here's, let's go to the, the questions here, Brian. Where approximately is your AGI? So this year... And you can make it up. This year, it's probably going to be uh, 350K. But next year, I'm cutting back considerably. So my bet is next year, it'll be somewhere around 200 to 250. Perfect. Must have been thinking about this. This is all coming to coming to right? play, right? When you're investing this much, you idea is to quit your job at some point or to titrate down like how you are. So what you're having is this opportunity where you want to stay below the highest tax bracket. So anything when you go over three thirty, that's when you're in the red zone. So if you go down to two hundred, right. you could ideally leak out one thirty every year. Okay. But let's before we go there. Your married file jointly. Actually head of household. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Is your significant other partner, are they working or what's? Yeah, she, she's a nurse and we, we've, we've lived in the same household for quite a while, like six plus years, but we just said we're not getting married ever again. Yeah. Far kick. Yeah. It's just that just for us, we're much happier and she keeps her finances under her belt and I keep mine under my belt. Yeah. Some people think marriage is forever. Some people think of it as, Hey, let's just renegotiate every day. Every day you, you don't sell is another day you've chosen to buy. It's the same right. for, for right. old rental properties, of course, <laughs> which by the way, I'm selling off my second to the last one. Very happy about that. So why in uh, Birmingham. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Together, you guys make, you guys aren't going to be doing real estate professional status or you guys thought about uh, that? that? That might be another talk to have down the road is once I'll be part-time next year, you know, how to go. I, I guess the question there is how to get reps without being a landlord. You got to talk to the right CPA because I have yeah. a bunch of people who are exactly like you, where you have a boatload of investments. And I've seen it where they work their still full-time jobs 
and their CPAs, yeah, man, I'm just going to check this box off for you. Now, it totally defies all the little rules, but it happens. Dude, you can bet your butt that Donald Trump is checking that box in real soon. Oh, right. But he right. was obviously the president of the freaking United States for right. as a full-time job plus. But how can the man not check the real estate profession? Oh, he's checking the box. Yeah. Maybe he should. I, technically, he shouldn't, right, is what we're trying to say. But that's where you got to work with your CP. In my non-tax legal opinion, you have a lot of stuff. It's becoming a full-time job. I actually think right. you have too much stuff. You should probably go down a little bit and bump bump your minimum investments up. But that's an, another side thing. But I think what you're doing is very typical for people getting started, right? Like you go into a lot, you're trying to see which jockeys are going to invest more heavily on in the future. Yep. So, this is very typical, but, but yeah, real estate professional status, maybe going KP on some deals, get some of that carried interest in there as a loan guarantor too. That helps to build the optics, um, but don't listen to me talk to your CPA, but what, what that will do, that will be a big thing because now you can, instead of just taking the default, I think is to take out that 130 or so a year to stay right okay. around that 330. I think that's the default. That's the prudent thing to do here. But if you want to get a little more, how much do you have in your retirement accounts now? Just say. I think it's around 1.2 million. Yeah. So it's going to take a lot of years to leak it out. A pain to do, to do this. It's going to take you a decade to do that. Let's just use that as the bookend, right? I think that's a no brainer. You want to mm-hmm. take it out. You don't want to leave it to when you retire because your income is probably going to be higher in a decade. So you want to get it out now under that 330 or whenever that changes next year and the years prior. So 130 a year, you'll get it out in 10 years. What I, If it were me and I was going to be playing it a little bit more aggressively, what I would be mm-hmm. doing is I would do real estate professional stuff. You got to jump through hoops to get that, obviously. Maybe, I'm sure you have a boatload of passive activity losses built up, right? On your 82, yeah. 84. Yeah. Do you know how much? Half a million? Uh, probably around there. Yeah. I'm and, just, and just guessing. And and you're the prime example. People always ask the question, what happens when I exit a deal and I get my $50,000? Dude, you should have been like Brian. You should have invested in a dozen plus deals. So you, you have, you're <laughs> sitting here in passive activity loss nirvana and you're untouchable. Yeah, there's a deal that went full cycle this year and, and it was a pretty, pretty nice gain and I'll be okay. But a lot of the other guys in the deal, they're like, oh God, I got to get something before the end of the year. I got to shield this. I got to buy something. I got to buy something. Yeah. It's funny. We have guys like yourself. This is when it's cool when you come on the retreat and you meet other people like this, but they have a rap sheet of a dozen plus deals. They have a half a million, million dollars plus of passive activity losses. And they're like, yeah, man, I haven't paid like taxes in seven years. I feel like I should like at some point. I don't know if I'd ever get to that point, but I've, I've, I've definitely you're, paid enough in my first 30 or so years of work. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. But you're cutting to the point where you technically, especially if you go real estate professional status, you really shouldn't pay taxes. You shouldn't need to pay taxes. You can, if you want, to hold the passive activity losses to the end. But the way my CPA does it is he just burns up my passive activity losses so I pay zero taxes every year. Gotcha. And you only live once, right? You may never you see the next once. decade. Yeah. Have, have you ever heard, I was talking with someone and they said, oh, one way you can get reps hours is to take over a triple N lease for Walgreens or something like that. Have you heard of anyone doing that? Yeah. So the easy, like low hanging fruit is like a short term rental. Maybe your spouse enjoys doing that, or maybe you enjoy it. I would not recommend buying some crappy class C rentals. That's like going backwards or like you said, getting a little 
chip on that. But then the problem with that one is big money and mm-hmm. you kind of got to be, know what you're doing when you're doing mm-hmm. that type of stuff. But it is relatively easy. That's it. I don't do it. And I don't know. I'm just talking about but here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those oh, yeah. are your three options. But that's where you talk to other people doing this and similar situations. I'm working my doctor job on the side. What are you doing to get the rep status? And so 130K taken out of that a year. So I'll owe a third of that, which is what about 45K? Yeah. But I, what I would recommend is make for you, it makes a lot of sense to make that jump to rep status, especially because yeah. you're going to part time. And especially yeah. with, in my opinion, with your rap sheet here, you have a lot of stuff. You might be a passive investor, but this seems like a full-time job that somehow you justify. It takes a good amount of work just to stay on top of everything. and Don't waste it on no. me. You're just practicing, right, for your CPA now. Right? Yeah, totally. I mean, you don't uh, want to talk to the IRS. Have your CPA talk to them, of course. That'd be- <laughs> no, but- definitely doing 40 hours a week working on that. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. But yeah, if you were to do that, maybe I would 2X that. Maybe take out two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars $300,000 out of there every year extinguish that with most of your passive losses and then now you're out of you withdrew the whole thing out in a handful of years instead of a decade i would play it that way yeah i'll wait and see if if the reps happens or i guess when the yeah one of the other things i've been doing that how i've been paying my life insurance premium is with the solo 401k you're allowed to take a fifty thousand dollar self-directed loan and so what I'm doing is I'm taking $50,000 out of that, just paying myself back in that. And then when it's time for tax premium, just taking that loan out again and paying it back. I still have to pay it back, but it's nice being able to pay yourself back. And stuff. Yeah, that's a nice little hack there. Yeah. But yeah, that, just the, the hard thing is this is an art form. Like we don't know what's going to happen with bonus depreciation in a couple of years. It's supposed to phase down a little bit. In sure. 2024, it's still going to be fine right we don't know if that's going to get extended we don't know if you can use 100 percent of your losses to offset your income we don't know if that'll be capped like how like conservation easements are oil and gas where it's your cap at like 30 or 50 percent we don't know how the world is going to change with that type of stuff so a lot of this is a risk and uncertainty which is most people aren't comfortable with that type of stuff and it's not an exact science, but that's why right. I, I would say like right now, there's a clear path on how to get it out in a few years with, if you're able to rep status, and I would take it before it closes up. That said, you could sit around for three years and something really, really well, way better could come down the road, but you've also missed out on deploying those funds too. Right. No, it's, it makes so much more sense to have that not locked up in jail. You know, it yeah. gives you so much more flexibility. And, yeah. And, and when you crack those, open those retirement funds, then you get more passive losses from that. Mm-hmm. So it is a multi-generational, but that's how I would play it. I yeah. I would take it now or in the next few years with rep status. Start researching rep status more. And I, that's where I would really suggest meeting other people um, that are doing the rep status because now you have a specific target, right? You're trying to find those right people, the high income earner with disproportionate incomes that where it's ideal. You're unusual where you're the high income earner, yet you're very part-time. Normally that doesn't happen. Right. You know, normally in other people's relationships, you just suck it up and go to work. And then the other person takes over the rep status in most cases. But where are you? Do it all, man. I'm going to do it all. Yeah. Do it all. Yeah. <laughs> make, make them make the money bring it home cook the bake also do 750 hours of the side 
Yes, That's yeah. right. Yeah. It's all in documentation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and any other questions you got or anything you want to talk through? I don't know. I think you said maybe I'm a little over diversified, but just going forward, what I, what your bird's eye view of what I should be focusing on going forward. It's, I love multifamily, but I think I'm about like 65, 75% or yeah, multifamily. And you know, I'm trying to get in a little bit of self-storage here and there and a little bit of mobile home parks, but I don't know if there's any other directions you think I should be looking into. Yeah. Just the fact that your percentages, you're probably a lot better than most people. Again, like most people who are new, they go into all a bunch of stuff like the Las Vegas buffet and they just buy, they just go into all these random asset classes. In my opinion, that the way to do it is going deep with one asset class, learn it, learn the people, mm-hmm. and then branch out as you find other passive investors who also investing in self storage deals, office deals. I'll just say for myself, right? Like I'm an operator of apartments, so I know that a thing or two about that. Yeah. So yeah, I would say eighty to ninety percent of my stuff is apartments. Yeah, vast majority. I don't know exactly, but I when I go outside of my comfort zone, apartments, office, self storage mobile home parks, I want to invest with an institutional operator, especially when I'm not controlling my own destiny. Mm-hmm. No, everybody listening here is our passive investors. You guys don't have the luxury of being behind the curtain on the operation side of apartments. So they have take it for what it's worth. But yeah, when I invest in stuff where I'm a LP, I don't want to invest with somebody who just did a weekend boot camp or on their first dozen deals. I want somebody who's more institutional, even though I'm willing to give up return. I'm okay doubling my money every 10 years instead of every five, if that makes sense. No, it makes sense. But if you're a passive investor and you don't know one from one, first of all, you should know, you should meet the other people doing it too. But then maybe if that's the case and it's all shades of gray to you anyway, maybe just right. diversify more, I guess. Yeah. You were saying before, do you have any advice you wish you could give to your rookie self when you're just starting doing this. And that would be know exactly why you are investing in a certain investment. Like when I was doing it before, it was just dartboard. It was like, oh, this looks good. Throw the dart. Oh, this looks good. Throw the dart, throw the dart. And now it's okay. Here's what it looks like. And here's what I need. And oh, I need some more higher yielding, higher yielding plays. I need to start looking at some more, some more of those deals or, oh, I just, I need more cash flow from this. Maybe I'll double down on the ATM investment or really think about before you, you pull the trigger, what that's going to do to the portfolio as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. But I think one thing you did that was really good is you got your skin in the game. That way you can have conversations with other passive investors and you're not just some newbie accredited investor that hasn't invested in Jack and adds no value. And that's why I say, go learn one thing first. So you can use that as your ticket to get in cahoots with other people. Totally. I, I totally agree. Yeah. But know why you're doing it. Just don't do it because everybody else is doing it. That's the other thing, right? You have a lot of, there's a lot of like doctor groups or investor groups where they all like group think their way into, oh, this, these guys are good. These guys are good. But I would never invest in them because you have this thing called sponsor creep. They become more institutional. Yeah. They got people lining up around the block. It's, I think everybody who's listening, who's gone to the single family home, like turnkey circuit, like they know that there's two or three companies that everybody talks about, but you only buy from them if you're a sucker that wants to pay 
ten to twenty thousand dollars over market price. Right, sure, they're reliable, right, but that's right. no way to invest, in my opinion. And it goes same for this type of stuff. There's some people they can put garbage out, and people will invest because they're more institutional operators. Any last thoughts or any questions coming to mind, Brian? No, this is helpful, and that is a lot of fun. If you guys want to do one of these calls, even if you're less experienced, reach out team at simplepassivecashflow.com. And we mentioned the retreat. We're not doing like really open house type of events these days. I think we've realized that a lot of people have figured out that Simple Passive Cashflow is a bunch of passive investors. So we got a bunch of those like newbie syndicators poking around. So, and we have enough live investors, like 700 of you guys out there. So everything is more closed circuit and only to passive investors these days. So that's kind of why things are the way they are. But yeah, thanks for listening, folks, and we'll catch you guys next time.